You know, it was, um, it was Martin Luther who said this. He said that uh, music is the handmaiden to the preaching. Now some of you are going, well, what's a handmaiden? A modern day version of that would be that music is the servant. It just serves the preaching of the word. In other words, the music is something that God uses to get us ready for this particular moment. When uh, I say take your Bibles and open them up to the Gospel of John, okay? So take your Bibles and open them up to the Gospel of John. If you don't own a copy of the Word of God, right after we're done, you can go into the altar room. There's an altar room over there in the, the venue, and uh, we'll give you a free Bible. We want you to have a copy of the Word of God for yourself. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor, thank you, but I've got a Bible on my smartphone. And I do too. I've got a bunch of them. Nothing wrong with having a Bible on your smartphone. But when you come to a moment like this, you ought to have a copy of the book. That way you can write in it, take notes, put them in it. If you go to a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, whatever it might be, you always want to bring the Bible, the book. And that way, if God does speak to you or whatever, through his Holy Spirit, you can write some uh, things down in the, um, in the scriptures. That song that I, when I got up here and I said, hey, listen, you got to play Hallelujah. Is that a problem? <laughs> he just starts playing. He didn't look at the band or anything. Just Those guys are just really, I love that song. Beautiful. Well, here's the deal. We're going to begin a study today where we're going to go through the gospel of John together. And I'd like to start out by having you turn to chapter 20. Okay, John chapter 20. Because if you really want to understand the Gospel of John, there's one verse here in chapter 20 that's kind of the key that unlocks the door to the whole thing. And I, I, I want you to look at verse 30. It says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other signs in addition to the ones that are recorded in this book. And so he says, hey look, everything that I've written in my Gospel isn't everything Jesus did. We saw him with our own eyes do a whole lot of other things. We heard with our own ears Jesus say a whole lot of things. They're not all recorded in this book, in my letter here. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You see, that's a super helpful verse when it comes to understanding the Gospel of John. John tells us, here's why I'm writing my Gospel. Here's why I'm pinning these words. I want those that hear it, I want those that read it to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God, and that when you believe in him or you put your trust in him, you would receive life eternal. That that was his purpose in writing his gospel. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 10. He said the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That, that's the demonic's purpose. That's the job description of the demonic. All they want to do is mess up your life. That's, all, that's it. All they want to do is screw up your life. They want to screw up your marriage. They want to screw up, I don't know, your business that you're trying to run in a God-honoring way, in a biblical way. That's all they want to do. 
They, 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 they have their PhD in, in screwing up people's lives. They're really good at it. In fact, when you were in bed last night and you were sleeping, the demons didn't sleep. They were up all night just trying to figure out how they could mess up your life, mess up your marriage, mess up your business, mess up your testimony. That's all they do. But Jesus says, my purpose is way different. The demons have a purpose. But Jesus says, mine's different. Mine is to give them, you, a, a rich and satisfying life. That's why he came. He came that, that somehow your one life would be transformed in such a way that not only would you experience life eternal with him in glory, but that down here on planet Earth, your life would be rich and satisfying. And John tells us in, 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 in his gospel, in chapter 20, here's why I've written my gospel. I want you to know this God. I want you to understand who this God is. Because he understood that there was life through a relationship with Jesus. So that was why John writes this gospel. But there's another interesting thing I want to point out before we get into this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel had all been written long before John writes his. Matthew and Mark's gospels were written about 50 AD. Okay, Luke's gospel was written about 60 AD, and John writes his gospel about 80 to 90 AD. And so what that means is, is this. There's a good chance, probably a 99.999% chance, that John had read Matthew's gospel. He had read Mark's gospel. He had read Luke's gospel. He, he knew what those guys had already written, and so now he's gonna write his, and he doesn't write this gospel and say, hey, wait a minute. What Matthew wrote was just not accurate. Well, what Mark wrote it just isn't true. All of Luke's research, that's just all bogus. I, I wanna tell you the truth. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything like that. Because everything that Mark and Matthew and Luke wrote was totally accurate. God was going to have John write his just from a different angle with a different purpose. And that's the, the book that we're going to be studying here at Big Valley Grace and the series that we're starting today. Another thing about Mark, uh, or John's gospel that's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's is... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote theirs, their gospels, kind of like a movie, you know, a DVD. You put a DVD in, you hit play, it spins, and you sit there and you watch this movie, right? It just goes on and on and on and on. That's how they wrote their gospel. John writes his a little bit different. And I thought about this uh, uh, Saturday. We had a birthday party at our house for our daughter, and we pulled this album down of pictures and in here are pictures of when our, our middle daughter was just a little baby and, and there's all of these, these, these pictures of her when we were on vacation and she's a, a little person, you know. And the thing about a picture is you can stop. You can look at it. You can see the details longer. 
You can take your time and before you turn the page and look at some other photographs. I think it's one of the reasons why survey after survey after survey, if you, when, they, when they take a, a poll of believers today, what their favorite book of the Bible is, hands down, it's the Gospel of John. And I think it's because of the way John writes. He writes in these little pictures, or what I like to call little vignettes of the life of Jesus, where you can stop. You can think about it. You can dwell on it. You can meditate on it in a greater way than you can with Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. So let's jump right in, okay? We got, we got, some, we got, some, we got to hustle here a little bit. <laughs> Go back to John chapter 1, okay? And this is the leadoff batter. This is the first thing that he wants his readers to understand. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, through, through the Word. And apart from Him, apart from the Word, nothing came into being that has come into being. You've come into being, right? The word, whatever that is, and we don't know what that is yet. The reason why you're here is because of the word. Amen. Amen. He, he's the one who brought everything into being. Without him, nothing comes into being. We still don't know who that is yet. In him, in the word, was life. The life was the light of men. The, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist, and Lord willing, we're going to look at his life next week. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own, and those who were his own didn't even receive him. But as many as received him, the word, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not to, not even, even to those who believe in his name, who, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And now verse 14, here it is. And the Word that was in the beginning, who was with God and was God, and everything has their life because of Him, the Word became flesh. We celebrate that moment. It's called Christmas. And He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna share with you three truths, real quick truths. These are truths you can bank on. I'm gonna spend most of my time on the first one and then we'll race to the others and we should get done on, on time. And I hope that somehow this brings encouragement to you, Christian. The first truth is this, is that Jesus is God. This is a truth that you can trust. It's the lead off hitter here. 
It's the first thing that John wants you to understand that Jesus is God. Look at verse one again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but not only was it with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the very beginning. Through Him, through the Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the first word I want you to focus on is that word dwelling. You see it? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's a pretty interesting word in the Greek. It means He tented among us. John says that the Word who was with God and was God and who created everything, there came this moment when the Word pitched His tent among us. He, he actually lived among us. In other words, the, the, the Word that was with God and was God, who actually brought life to everything, was living among us. He's telling us right out of the gate, listen, Jesus was no ordinary man. He was actually with God, and he was God. He just lived for a while down here. He just pitched his, de his tent down here for a while with us. Now today, things are way different. Jesus doesn't live among us now. Jesus, you know, doesn't pitch his tent in here tonight and then you leave and then he show, you know, when you show up here next Sunday, now all of a sudden you're around him because this is where he has his tent pitched. Listen to what the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and it was given to you by God? <laughs> listen, Christian, listen. When John wrote his gospel, he says, Jesus pitched his tent among us. Today, Jesus has pitched his tent within you. Amen. He lives in you. The Word who was with God and was God, the Word who brought into existence your very being, who keeps your heart beating as it is right now, doesn't live among us. He lives within us. Is that an unbelievable thought? Just an unbelievable thought. There's no doubt that it would have been super cool to have lived during biblical days and imagine you could have woke up in your tent or in your little dwelling and got out of bed and made your way to wherever Jesus was, wherever he had pitched his tent. And you could wait there and wait for him to come out of his house and then watch him speak, maybe watch him do a miracle. You could, you could see him and follow along. Maybe sometimes he'd get hidden by the crowd. Maybe he'd walk around a building, but you could run around that building. There he is. That would have been super cool. In fact, often when I read through the Gospels, I, I try to imagine myself living at that time, being able to follow Jesus around seeing the things he did, and then at night, you know, I have to go to my own house and sleep in my own bed, right? And he went to his own house, slept in his own bed, 
And in the morning, you know, I may have to go to work or do something else, but whenever I got off work, whenever I punched out, you know, man, I'd go find Jesus. And what a thrill that would have been. <laughs> it's way more cool to know I don't have to go hunt him down. Amen. When I wake up in the morning, he's pitched his tent within me. When I go to bed at night, he's pitched his tent within me. I am the place where he dwells. If you know Christ, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 14. It says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then it says we have seen his glory, right? The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John says we've seen it. The word who became flesh, who now dwells among us, we saw him. We saw that he was no ordinary man. We saw the glory of God working through his life. We saw it. John saw Jesus change water into wine. He was there. Jesus, uh, he saw Jesus feed 15,000 people with only a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He was there. He, John saw Jesus heal people. He saw it with his own eyes. He, he saw Jesus yell at a tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, Lazarus walked out of the tomb. He saw that happen. He saw the glory of God working through the life of Jesus. Matthew 17 records a moment that I'm sure just blew John out of the water. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So imagine this. Jesus says, hey, Peter, James, John, I want you guys to go on a little hike with me. And so they're making their way, you know, climbing a mountain. And they get somewhere. And all of a sudden, John sees it. The glory of the Father comes on the Son. And Jesus is transfigured. And there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and they're having a conversation with, with Jesus. He, he saw that. Nobody told him about that. He saw it with his own two eyes. And then of course the big one was, John saw Jesus on, on the cross. John saw the blood coming out of his hands from those nails. He was there, he's at the foot of, he saw it. John saw the blood coming out of his ankles from that nail. John saw the blood gushing out of his head because of the crown of thorns. John saw the blood just dripping off of his body because of the scourging that the Romans would have given him. He saw it. He saw it with his own eyes. He was there when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took that body off of the cross. He, he, he saw it limped over one of their shoulders or maybe they were carrying him. 
He, he was there when they put Jesus in that tomb. He saw that big stone rolled in front of it. He saw the Romans put that seal on it. He saw that SEAL Team 6, that Roman garrison out in front of that tomb. He saw it with his own two eyes. And then three days later, he saw the glory of God working through Jesus because there he was alive. He knew. Beloved John was a was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He, he saw the glory of God at work in and through his life. He knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was God. That's why he says, let me tell you why I'm writing my gospel. I'm writing this so that you would believe. Because when you believe in him, when you put your trust in him, wow, there's a life that will go on eternally forever with him. Look again at verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You, you can't miss what God's saying here. It doesn't say that Jesus was a God. It doesn't say that Jesus was possibly a God. It doesn't say that Jesus was one of many gods, no. It says that Jesus was God. This is one of the clearest places in all of the Bible where we see that Jesus was God. Now, I talked a little bit about this truth last weekend, Easter weekend, the fact that Jesus was God. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 10. He said, I and the Father are one. In other words, I was with God and I was God. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, hey, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. Which of these do you stone me for? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. I and the Father are one, you see. By the way, these verses that we're looking at here in John are one of the many places where we get the idea of the Trinity. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but you find the theological truth of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're totally separate, they're, yet they're totally equal. Jesus was with God, and he was God. In Genesis uh, chapter one, it says this in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. It says, let us make man according to our image. And you have to ask yourself, who's the us? Who's the our? Who is that? Jesus was with God and was God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, once again, we see this idea of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God 100% of the time while he was on planet Earth here. And I know that this is a hard truth to grasp, but it's truth nonetheless. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus was born a man and he grew into a God. Jesus has always been God. He was God when he was in heaven, and then for a brief time, he took on the 
form of a human being. He was God when he was in Mary's womb. He was God uh, when he was born. He was God when he went to the cross. He's always been God. Yes, he took on the form of a man for 33 years, but he's always been God. Philippians chapter 2 says, don't be selfish, Christians. Don't, don't try to impress others, Christians. Instead, be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What attitude did, did he have? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. Now let me be honest with you. When I read things like this, there's a part of me that scratches my head. I was out on my balcony as I was studying this week and I was going, wow, man, I, I don't get it. This is just some really, really deep stuff that God became a man, okay? It's okay if you don't understand it. It's okay if you scratch your head, but I want you to know something. There's another part of me that just wants to fall down and worship him. It's such a wonderful thing that God was willing to humble himself and leave the glories of heaven to become a man because he loved me, because he loved you. Yeah, you may scratch your head and go, man, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's okay. There's a lot of things about God that don't make sense to me. If you could figure out everything there was to know about God, what kind of God would he be, right? But just the idea, the truth that he would leave heaven, that he was with God, and that he was God. And then he became flesh and pitched his tent among us for a purpose, to redeem us. <laughs> Let me tell you something, that ought to draw you back to church each weekend. Yes. Just, just, just that thought alone, just to worship him. Now let me give you a, 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 a couple of encouraging thoughts about this truth, the fact that Jesus is God. What does it mean for you right now? Well, it means three things. A lot of things, but I'll give you three. Number one, Jesus who is God, I want you to know he calls you his friend. The Bible says in John chapter 15, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a slave, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. Jesus, who was God, says, hey, I call you friend. Did you think about that this morning when you got up? Did you wake up this morning and go, you know what? God calls me his friend. That that's how he sees me. He sees me as his, as his friend. One of my favorite songs, the new one now is Hallelujah, but it used to be, you know, I'm a friend of God with Philip Craig and Dean. Remember when we had Philip Craig and Dean here? It sounds like a law firm, doesn't it? Philip Craig and Dean. I, but they, they were up here, and they got to the song, I am a friend of God, and somehow they knew it was my favorite song, and the, the guy up here, Phillips or Craig or Dean, one of them looks down and goes like this, and so I go running up on the stage, and I grabbed a mic, 
I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Man, I'll tell you what, that's a great song because of the truth that's in it, you see? God calls me his friend. If that doesn't get you pumped up, if that doesn't encourage you, man, check your pulse, man. There's something wrong with you. I'm serious. That's encouraging that Jesus, who is God, says, hey, you're my friend. The second encouraging thing is this, is that Jesus, who is God, understands all the things that you're going through. The writer of Hebrews says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. We we did. Why? Because he became a man. He was a human. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Beloved, because Jesus became a, a, a man, because God became a man, he understands all the stuff we go through. He, he, he's lived it. The other day, uh, I coached our baseball team and I heard some screaming from a little kid and so I kind of made my way over to the park and there was a little boy there and his parents were there with him and the kid's toe was all bleeding. He had stubbed his toe, okay? Every kid on the planet. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a rite of passage to manhood, right? You, you, you stub your toe. And his toe was bleeding and all that. And as I was walking back over to practice, I started thinking, huh, I wonder if Jesus stubbed his toe. They didn't have shoes like we had. I wonder if he went, maybe he did. Then I began to think, I wonder if Jesus had the flu. I wonder if he was ever in bed, like sick. Then I began to think, you know, Here's the deal, I know he had to get up and go to work. He was out busting his hump to to pay the bills. You know, he had a bunch of friends that he hung out with. He knows what it's like to have friends and laugh and hang out with friends. He, He had friends. He had friends that betrayed him. He had friends that talked trash about him. You got, you got friends out there who write stuff on Facebook about you and it bums you out. He gets it. He, he had a whole bunch of people who said crummy things about him. He had people who hated him. Got some people who hate you? He had people who beat him up. He had people who ultimately had him killed. And so the writer of Hebrews says, listen, He's been there, so so don't be afraid to come to him with your stuff. He's been there. It's not like he's some God who's unapproachable, who could never understand the things that we go through. He can. When you go to him and say, man, I stubbed my toe. When you go to him and say, man, I I don't know whether I'm going to be able to pay the bills this month. When you go to him and say, hey, man, I don't know what's up with my family, man. They're all, you know, against me. He gets it. He understands. He understands all the stuff you're you're going through. So not only does 
Jesus, who is God, say, hey, you're my friend, but he, he, gets, he gets life. He lived it. But the third thing is this. Jesus, who is God, wants you to give him all the crummy things that happen in your life. Peter says, give all your worries, give all those crummy things that come in life, all your cares to God. Why? Why? Why should I do that, Peter? Because he cares for you. And doesn't a good friend care about the stuff you go through? And Jesus calls you his friend. And Peter says, look, when crummy things happen in your life, and they're going to happen, Jesus, who is God, says, why don't you come to me? Why don't you give those things to me? Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you, you know the Lord. And you go on vacations and you get a rest. Your, your physical body will get a rest. But some of you are in desperate need of a different kind of rest. Only Jesus can give you rest for your souls. You see, I go on vacation every year. Every year, you know, you get to June and my family, we make our way over to uh, Maui and we have a great time. And there's rest there. But there have been many times in all the years that we have gone when I've gotten back on the plane and I land back here in, you know, uh, uh, in, in California and I get to my house. Oh, my muscles are restful. But I didn't experience any rest in my soul. That's a different kind of rest. And that's on me. That's not Jesus' fault because he says to me, Rick, you're my friend. I understand the life that you're living. I get it. Now you come to me and you spend time with me. Don't ever be afraid to come to me and you give me all the things you're all tripped up about. All the stuff you're worried about is given to me. You may have to come to me multiple times in a day, but you come to me whenever you sense that angst within your soul. So when you think of these three things, that Jesus, who was, you know, with God and was God, calls you his friend, and that he understands all that you're going through, and he wants you to actually give him all the crummy things that life throws at you, <laughs> that ought to be an encouraging thought for you today. Those ought to be the things maybe you walk out of here with and say, man, I'm going to hang on to that. The other two are this, real quick. The other truth is that Jesus is life. Look at verse 4. Not only was he God, but verse 4 says, in him, in Jesus, in the Word who was with God and was God, the one who actually created everything, sustains everything, in him, nobody else, was life. And John uses the word life about 36 times in his gospel, way more than any other New Testament book. 
And it refers not only to our physical lives, that Jesus is the one who put us together, you know, when we were in our mama's womb and all of that, who literally gave us physical life, but it especially means spiritual life or eternal life. In him, in Jesus, is where we find life eternal. It's only in him. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Because we're the same thing, we're one. There's God the Father, God the Son. I was with God and I was God. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said, wait a minute, Lord. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, hey, I am the way, Thomas. I am the truth, Thomas. And I am the life, Thomas. I'm it. The only way you're ever going to get to the Father, the only way you're ever going to make it to glory is through me. Why? Because I was with God and I was God. I have the life. Jesus says, I got it. It's in me. That's why Jesus could make this statement in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He could make that statement because he was no ordinary human being. John, right out of the gate in verse one says, hey, Jesus was God and in him was life. And the third truth is this, that Jesus is available. Not only is he God, not only in him is there life, but he's available, praise God. Look at verse 11. He, that's Jesus, came to his own. He came to his own. Remember, he created everything. He came to the very globe he created. He came to the very place where he created all the fish, all the plants, he created all the uh, you know, uh, birds, he created it all, he created all human life. He came to that which he created. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to those people he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I really like how the NLT puts it. He, Jesus, came to the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, he came to the Jews. The Jews were the ones that had the Torah, the you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had the entire you know, uh, 39 books of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament says the Messiah is coming, the Savior They had it. He, he came to his own people. All of these uh, prophecies that pointed the, to Jesus as being the Messiah. He came to his own. And even they rejected him. But to all who believe in him, all who accepted him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. So here we have John saying, hey, here's why I wrote the book. I wrote it so that you might put your trust in Jesus Christ, because in Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life. And then he opens up, 
But this whole idea that Jesus is God. He's life. And he's available. Anybody who would put their trust in him would spend their eternity with him. You see, here's the deal. Everybody in this room, over in the venue, watching online, everybody here has a relationship with God. Everybody. Well, I don't believe in God. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. You have a relationship with him. You either have the wrath of God hanging over your head because of your unbelief. You're in your sin. Or you have the love and grace and mercy of God hanging over your head. Everybody's in a relationship with God. The church is here to remind you that you can move from one relationship to another. Amen. You could spend your eternity forever with Jesus Christ in a place called heaven. Uh, I did the membership class yesterday in a uh, a person asked me, hey, pastor, tell me about hell. What's hell like? <laughs> I said, uh, you know what? The Bible tries to explain it. It says it's a place of utter darkness, but there's fire. I don't, I don't know how you can have fire in utter darkness. I, I think the writers tried to explain something that's pretty hard to explain. But I said, let me, let, let me tell you the worst thing about hell. Hell is a place that's void of Jesus. Jesus isn't there. And the Bible says that he was God, and the Bible says that God is love. So if Jesus isn't there, there's no love in hell. Hell is literally a place where there is no love, zero love. And if anything would get you to gnash your teeth, it would be being in a place that's void, absolutely void of love. And the Bible says, Jesus isn't there. Heaven, on the other hand, is a place where he lives. And he is love. And so for those of us who understood who Jesus was and we gave our life to him because we understood in him was life. You know what? We are gonna spend our eternity with him. We'll spend our eternity in a place that literally is nothing but pure love. Pure love. Now, I don't even know what that could be like. I've been in a lot of loving you know, situations. I'm in one now you know, where it's just a lot of love. But even our relationships down here that are great are tainted by sin. Imagine being in a place that's just love, pure love, no sin. You see, here's the thing. You can say, I don't want to believe in Jesus. You can do that, and God just says, okay, you don't want my son, fine. Then we'll just make it permanent when you take your last breath. If you don't want him, then we'll just make that permanent. And you can spend your eternity in a place where my son isn't going to be there, ever. You will never see him, you will never experience him. That place was designed and built and constructed for the demons. And I don't want any of my human beings going there. You're made in my image. And so God in his love sends the word to dwell among us. And if you accept him into your life, he won't dwell among you. He'll dwell in you. And when you get Jesus, you get the life. 
you'll spend your eternity with him forever in glory. Why don't you all stand up over in the venue, why don't you stand? And just close your eyes for a moment. So Father, we had a great, great weekend here. I'm thankful, God, that our brother Lincoln and his band could come and hang out with us and lead us in some worship. That was really, really cool. But the coolest thing isn't Lincoln or me or whatever. The coolest thing is you. And we came to worship you. All the songs were about you, Jesus. The preaching was all about you. Everything we did was about you. Because you were God. You're the one that has the life and you made yourself available to all of us. Praise God. While your heads are bowed, if you're here and you'd like to know more about Jesus, you could go into the altar room. It's off to your right. It's one over in the venue. And our pastors and elders will be in there. There have been people in there last hour, last night. Maybe, maybe you'd like to go in there and say, hey, help me. I, I need Christ. I need the life. I want the life. God, give us a great afternoon. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. And Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.